This is a Wild Gate Production Podcast. just a bunch of fannings in it which so i just basically drank a mouthful of tea rounds yeah welcome to the save or die podcast my name is chris and i'm joined by uh carl today ron is unfortunately ron is unfortunately unavailable uh due to a family engagement he uh he's watching his daughter do a play i believe in uh, a neighboring town so he'll be back next episode hopefully uh but yeah um I guess uh, I guess we'll get into it today. Uh, Carl, I know you did some stuff you talked about on the last show, um, specifically some some con stuff. Uh, you want to talk yeah. a little bit about that before we uh, we begin? Absolutely. Um, so last show we talked about uh, my wife and I starting Arkansas RPG Con. Well, that has come and passed. Uh, it happened actually a week ago uh, yesterday. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, I got to play some basic D&D with a really cool uh, dungeon master game runner who goes by DM Crafty. So hello, DM Crafty, if you're listening. He's a Save or Die listener as well. And um, he had a really cool style because he had a co-DM. And they were basically good cop, bad cop. So he would be the arbitrator uh, of of kind of the environment and everything. But his co-DM ran all the monsters and so he could really as as the person only running the monsters vie to be getting you like really be trying to to kill the party and you never held it against kind of the environment or the state of the game because that was all ran by dm crafty so it was a really cool game um and as you can imagine with a name like dm crafty he had lots of crafted terrain and was that the photo that you posted love that like really cool like castle yes. ruin god that was an awesome photo i will try yeah. to um i'll try to if you listen to the show through the website i'll try to post those um or get vince to because he's the one who actually handles all that i'll try to get those actually posted onto um the website page oh, cool. uh, you can also awesome. join our facebook page to see them they're they're up there carl's been killing it all the <laughs> memes you see have been exclusively carl and he, he does a good job i i will Absolutely back him up on that. And uh, also what happened while uh, between the shows is SpaCon, which is a cool little con in um, Hot Springs, Arkansas. Uh, and and I have a story from that that I think is really, uh, really funny. But before I can tell it, I have to explain what dabbing is. Dabbing is a simple dance move in which a person drops the head into the bent crook of the slanted arm like they're sneezing. Uh, there's some arguments about where this originated, Atlanta hip-hop scene in the 2010s, but but uh, there you go, dabbing, popular with the youth. Well, at SpaCon, I ran uh, my Discos and Dragons con game. 
which is a game where I run Holmes Basic D&D using materials only from the 1970s or earlier. And at my table were nine teenage boys playing 1970s D&D with 1970s material. And I think I can safely claim the record of number of dabs performed during a game of Holmes Basic 1970s D&D. <laughs> I feel like if I have any record that I can safely claim, it's definitely my own. So uh, they do it, they celebrate. So they would like roll to hit and they'd be like, I rolled a 12, dab. And <laughs> it was just fun. Their, their enthusiasm was contagious and it filled the room. And we were the loudest table at the whole con convention. And, and I, I am happy to say it went really well and they really enjoyed it. Picked it up like nothing. It was really easy for them to play. Yeah. Like, original D&D &D or like home basic, it's not hard to pick up. It's not like right. children play this game. I don't understand why people are like, oh, D&D, it's, it's, you, are you smart enough to play it? It's like this, this is a game for ages 12 and up. Like this is for children. Right. Like the Stranger Things kids had no problems. They got it. <laughs> um. So yeah, a teenager, like were they like high school teenagers or like freshman in college um, it was it was no it was very mixed um uh i think the oldest person we had was probably 16 or 17 okay uh the youngest person at that table was actually seven years old oh wow yeah starting them so, early yeah yeah i'll run a game for anybody <laughs> uh and uh, of... the other thing we should mention is that we were on um shane plays radio we were and yeah. if, if you weren't able to pick that up through our facebook links or anywhere else we should link that on the show as well yeah i will absolutely go ahead and make a note of that right now actually so kind of getting back into cons here i was a uh, Carl and i are pretty active in the wild games productions discord like if somebody talks i'll i'll try to respond and we've had like it it's not a very active discord Hopefully, listeners at home, you can come join and rectify that, because I love talking to you guys and discussing ideas. Um, but somebody was asking about North Texas RPG Con uh, a couple days ago, and I have been saying for years, like, I have a friend who's trying to get me to go to Gen Con, and I, I'm not a big, like, gigantic gaming convention person, but I know that uh, North Texas is pretty small, it's pretty self-contained, and... Um, you know, everyone that I know through doing podcasting shows up. So I'm trying to get to North Texas. And if I do, uh, I definitely want to play in this Discos and Dragons game because it sounds yeah. amazing. Yeah, I will be, my wife and I will both be at North Texas RPG Con in 2018. I'll be running a couple of basic D&D games, one of them being Discos and Dragons. I'm going to try to get to North Texas this year. I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but I've been, like, I've been talking to Vince about it. Um, and since he lives in Denton, and I know I've talked to the stewards about it, I don't know if this still, like, exists. I'll have to, like, ask them, but I think I have some places to stay. Um, I know Glenn goes. I think he just, I don't know if he goes for the whole weekend, but... There are opportunities for me to split hotel costs with people, basically, is what I, I guess I'm getting at. So, very feasible uh, for me to actually do this. It's just a matter of getting time off work and things like that. So, uh, that's my goal. It's a lot of fun. You should do it. Yeah, I know. I've been wanting to go for years now, since um, the first time it was brought up on the show. Because it's an OSR con, and that's the thing. Like The difference between Gen Con versus North Texas is... You know, Gen Con is everything and also huge. And I, I went to PAX once, um, Penny Arcade Expo in Seattle, and 
after that weekend, I was like, I will never wait in line for things ever again. So now <laughs> I've become the kind of person where if I uh, if the if the line is too long for something, I just won't have that thing. So like if I walk into a coffee shop, or if I'm like in line to like like the DMV, I, I just don't I don't I don't go. Like if I get busted uh, for not having updated my ID. That's it. Like mm-hmm. it's fine. Um, I ran. Uh, I ran Discos and Dragons this year, 2017, at North Texas RPG Con, and um, Mike and Liz Stewart both signed up for my game. Oh, that's awesome! And I, was, I was like, oh, well, that makes me nervous because they know Holmes better than I do. Is what my <laughs> thought process, you know? And uh, they sat down, and played the game, and they had to leave a little bit early, and somebody took their place, and mm-hmm. I was running the game for this person. No idea who it was. And then, like, I'm going and getting a chair or something, or I come back and I see his name tag, and it's Chris Holmes. Uh, so I ran a Holmes Basic for Chris Holmes, which is really cool. Oh, wow. Is that like uh, Jared John Holmes Eric Holmes' son. son? Okay. That's really cool. Man. Yeah. yeah like, I got to get to this convention. Like, Do I it. I keep saying that, and I, I got to. <laughs> Um, so I guess we're going to get into some stuff today here uh, with all that re- uh, wrap-up stuff here. Um, the show should be coming out on Halloween. It may come out on November 1st. Um, we're a little bit late with recording it. Like that's, that's on me definitely. Um, but it's a, it's what I thought was going to be a Halloween nightmare. It's Gazetteer four, <laughs> the, uh, kingdoms of Yerendi. Uh, we actually found out that's it's Yerendi is, is the canon from the mouth of God, um, pronunciation. So, Fun fact. Keep it here for more educational fact. <laughs> um, yeah, I was calling it Irindy, and I, I I watched a couple of YouTube clips of people talking about it, and it was all over the place. Irindy, and yeah, uh, I was uh, saying Irindy, uh, Irindy, yeah. Um, but uh, Bruce heard when I contacted him about it. He said, "If you know, however you pronounce it, just think of it as a different dialect or accent. There's no wrong way to do it." So he was very <laughs> open about the idea of. Of changing, you know, this was a long time ago for him, so he was like, you know, why are you bugging me about this? No, he was very kind. Um, but, it's uh, not like when we had uh, when we had Tracy Hickman on the show to talk about. Uh, I'm not sure which show that was, if it was Save or Die or if it was Roll for Initiative, but we did an, uh, an interview with him, and we did um, we did a, a review of Rahasia, and we okay. none of us knew how to pronounce it. So after right. that show had come out, we asked uh, Tracy Hickman, and he's like. Oh, it's it's this. I don't even remember. It's been <laughs> six years since we did that or something sure. like that. And uh, he's like, oh, it's this. It's it's actually an Indonesian word. So, oh. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. the nice thing about uh, a lot of D&D stuff is it's made up. So, like, who who cares how you're saying it? It You know, Sahagwins, right. Sahagwin. It's Sahagin. Actually, uh, I'm, I'm going to put my foot down on this. There are correct ways to pronounce D&D words, and if you say them wrong, I will make fun of you. Anyways, let's listen to a word from these sponsors. Are you enjoying the show you're listening to right now? Want to help support the show? Why not head over to the Patreon site, patreon.com slash WGP. That's patreon.com slash WGP. And help support the network for as little as $1.50 a month. That's right, $1.50 a month goes a long way. Thank you. If AD&D is number one, have we got a podcast for you. 
On the Roll for Initiative podcast, DMs Vince, Nick, and Matt. Hello, everybody. And <laughs> DM Matt. Hello, everyone. Check out all things related to the game that Gary built. This is basically the module trying to get you to fight things when you shouldn't. Yeah, it's they basically taunt you. They're being playful. Yeah. They're being playful. Yeah. They feature old and new modules, supplements, musings on rules, advice on DMing a game, and occasionally feature new writers and classic creators of all things 1E. And think of it this yeah. way. Number appearing, 2 to 12. 12 demigods hanging out together? Yes, but the green man has nothing underneath him as a classification. Zero. No. Nothing. No. Just he's God of no. growth and abundance. We don't need to put down any other classification at all. We'll just give it to the mud man. That's the Roll for Initiative podcast. You can find it on iTunes or at RFIpodcast.com. So you like AD&D 2nd Edition but no podcast to listen to? Guess what? We got the cure right here. I got a fever. And the only prescription... The Thaco's Hammer Podcast. You want me to put the hammer down? Join DM's Glenn, Brian, Corey, and full-on gamer as they discuss, debate, and review the world of second edition AD. Yes. Go here. Give me a gin. Yeah, that's that's DM Corey ordering drinks. Sorry. Sorry. Girlfriend's getting gin. Rules, modules, supplements, clones. Everything 2E is fair game. Someone lied to you, and there's an opposed role, and oh, they won, so you believe the lie. I know, but I don't, because I, the player, know that they lied to me. But mm -hmm. you, the character, have to act like you take the lie. So listen into a podcast where number two is number one. The Thaco's Hammer Podcast, the best damn second edition ADD podcast ever. You'll find it on iTunes or at thacoshammer.info. All right, so Gazetteer 4, the kingdoms of Yerendi. Um, Carl, I tasked you here with this episode to kind of try to find out what you could about the publication history uh, for this module. Um, so let's uh, let's jump into that real quick. Sure. Uh, Gazetteer 4 came out in 1987, which is 30 years ago. Uh, to oh, kind of put in perspective oh. just how long ago this came out. Um, uh so quite a while ago, so I can see why why uh, uh, people's memories may be shifting and fuzzy on it. Um, but it's uh, the fourth in the Gazetteer series uh, about Mistara, then known as the uh, the D and D world. And in this book, it it, it uh, continually calls it the D and D world. Oh, not uh, the known a, world team. Not the known world. There's this past the known world at this point. Huh. Uh, but it's not being called Mistara at this point. So you, when you read it in this book, it even has the little copyright symbol on D&D, the D&D copyright world. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> but this was written by Anne uh, Gray McCready. Um, and this was uh, one of the few things she did within the world of classic or basic D&D. A lot of her stuff that she did for TSR uh, was in uh, the advanced uh, hmm. spectrum. Um but uh, yeah, um, there's that's about it. There is on the publication history as far as like the way it was received. Uh, the Gazetteer series was a very popular uh, series, which is mm -hmm. why there's 14 of them. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't get to that number if it's not a <laughs> if people aren't buying it. Um, uh, but uh, uh, I think I think it's one of the most different of the Gazetteers in that it's um, really separated from the rest of the world being that it's an island kingdom. Yeah. 
I have not read any, like, I left the show before they started actually doing the Gazetteers. It was, it's a thing that people have been requesting since, God, like, 2010, 2011 for them to do. And I, they didn't actually get into them until, like, uh, issue 85 or something like that. So, um, it, it definitely, uh, I, I expected this to be bad and I was really pleasantly surprised by how much I really liked this and I'm actually really looking forward now to uh to reading the future gazetteers because from what I've read this one is weird it's like the weakest of the gazetteer series and as I was reading it as I'm the kind of person where and I'll, a full disclosure I didn't like read it cover to cover in depth super like every word like I I skimmed every page and and found things of note that I really liked and um what I saw, I I loved. Um, it it was kind of written in a way that someone like me, who if I'm going to use a published material, I can just rip that out and divorce it from the actual module itself. Um, right. So I guess, like, just quick before we get into the super details, Carl, did you like this thing? Parts of it. Okay. Uh, and uh, I am not one to use campaign settings mm-hmm. um, because I, I think of of uh, of really the the net world of Dungeons and Dragons to be kind of um, the Neverland of fantasy literature. You know, where Neverland is this place where all of of child's imagination adventures go. Yeah, there's, there's pirates, pirates and, and Indians, Indians and fairies and crocodiles that eat people. You know. Um, D and D is kind of the place where all science fiction and fantasy go. Um, yeah, you have so, like White Plume Mountain, or not White Plume Mountain, uh, the Barrier Peaks, which yes. is like an, a crashed alien ship. Right, and I mean uh, that goes back to O D and D. You mm-hmm. know, there there's uh, mentions of of fighting against robots, and you know, really, there's no limitation on what you can do. Um, and so, when I think of like a campaign setting, uh, it it's not usually a product I, I go after because I just kind of make up my own as we go. And I'll okay. just, the, now that being said, there's a lot of stuff within this that is really easy to pull out mm-hmm. and use for someone like me that is just kind of making it up on the fly or, or um, uh, inserting places into it. Like I might insert, um, keep on the borderlands and be like, well, you're going North. Okay. You go North enough. You're going to reach this keep and this is what you're going to have to do or, yeah. or not do depending on what you choose and so i can i can plug stuff in and this is makes it really easy to do that yes it does and uh, i'm kind of the same way i i think um as i've gotten older and my time has become more capitalized by other things i kind of am becoming a published campaign person like um sure you know like we just had a conversation literally before I started the show about not referencing other editions of the game, but in fifth edition, like I've just, I have to accept that the forgotten realms is where they want you to play. So it's just like, all right, well I'll use that. That'll be the default. Um, but I do, I do still make it up as I go. Like I hate, it's also nice to me cause I, I, as I've said a thousand million times, I hate preparing. So if I can pull from a book a thing and, like, use that as the backdrop for something, I'm good to go. Um, one thing I did like about this, so let's let's talk about what works in this module. Um, I think 
So you can get this module online through dndclassics.com for $4.99 for a PDF. I didn't look to see how much it is on eBay, but uh, I guess I could do that now. But um, for $4.99 for the price of a Starbucks coffee, this is a worth it purchase. Just for the NPCs and um, adventure plot hooks alone. That's my take. Yeah, I would say one of the things that's that really works for this this kind of island nation that that is a very D and D thing, and and uh, it only could exist in a D and D world is the idea of their hierarchy. Their their um, king and queen are are selected by uh, an adventurer competition. Yeah, um, and so that kind of separates it. Can, most D and D campaigns are kind of set in a traditional fantasy. Um, uh, or sorry, traditional medieval mm-hmm. um, or king and queen, and it's through birth, and they kind of have that uh, kind of built in into the system. And so to see something so exclusively Dungeons and Dragons, you know, yeah. it wouldn't exist in any other world except a world where there's tons of adventurers all vying for power. So you can be you can become the king of Irinde or Yurinde or Irinde or uh, Irinde. Irindai. But it's only um, for a year. Like you're only king for a year until the yeah. next tournament. And then you gotta defend yourself or <laughs> yeah. step down. Um but yeah, uh that's such a, a bizarre wacko concept. I, I feel like a, a lot of this teeters towards Gonzo without really quite getting there. Yeah. Um I'm gonna start calling it Rizzo, as in Rizzo the rat. <laughs> so it's not quite Gonzo, but it's Rizzo. Where uh, uh, everything else below that is Camilla the chicken. That's my three levels of Gonzo. <laughs> Camilla the chicken is pure, plain, normal campaign. When it gets a little bit weirder, it's Rizzo the rat, Gonzo's sidekick. But when it goes for it, man, it's Gonzo the great right there. Yeah. Uh, and so that's my. <laughs> I like, as I've gotten older and explored more of, of like old school DD and classic DD, I've become. I love Gonzo. Like I love sure. it. I love Land of the Lost, fighting the white ape from a Lovecraft book. Um, you know, just weird stuff. Like uh, there was a. I ran an adventure once where um, the players went to like a county fair and tried funnel cake for the first time. <laughs> it was yeah. It was weird. It was like oh here's this medieval wood and also there's a Ferris wheel. Like who cares? Um, so I I love. And that's one of the aspects that draws me to classic D and D is sure is the Gonzoness. I I love fighting robots and um you know Drow Hans Gruber and things like that. A lot a lot of the written narrative in this mo- module is very modern narrative. Mm-hmm. It's very the the language. Well, it's Hawaii. Is- like the whole right. Yeah, it's like spoiler alert. I guess this the history of uh, Yerendi is is analogous to the annexation of Hawaii. And that is real uncomfortable. <laughs> like even the way it's nothing written, to say about that. Yeah, like I'm the way it's, the way it's written in like they're like oh the locals. I can't remember the exact quote, but they're talking about the history where like uh, the the actual yeah. local people like don't tell their version of the story, but like look at it with like a wry disdain of of the accepted narrative. And I was like, this is uncomfortable. Yeah, there's a lot of colonialism in this module. <laughs> yeah. 
uh, not to be too millennial about it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> People were like, oh, what's wrong with you? Like, I, just look up what happened to Hawaii with the Dole <laughs> Banana Corporation. Uh, people are going to be like, oh, you're a bleeding heart liberal. It's like, no, like, I think it's all messed up. Like, I, I think we can say that. Like, I'm glad we have Hawaii. Like, you know, it's it's a nice place to go. Also, in this module, kind of talking about, like, the socio-political, like, ties of it, is, like, this is, like, a destination land. Like, they took these native peoples and they made their town a resort place, or their, their like, kingdom a resort kingdom. Right. Anyways, uh, elves and stuff. Let's get off this tangent. There are elves. There are elves and stuff in this module. But uh, primarily, it's a, it's a human land, but we yeah. have uh, some visibility for elves. Yeah, there was some... Um... They do go into the uh, the history of the islands and give you like a timeline, and that was not super interesting to me. But I did see <laughs> there was like a um, extinction of the dodo kind of thing going on with the lizard men, where um, the original colonists who came brought with them a skin parasite that like was causing the lizard man population to go extinct. So they like. They Roanoked the whole colony and then left. <laughs> there's some weird stuff in here, and I love it. Um, yeah. There's a whole island that is Westworld, basically. Uh, there's an island where everyone is a magic user. There's um. There's, there's Fantasy island. island. Yeah, that's, a, that's the Westworld island. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, Safari I was island. Thinking, I was thinking, which island are you talking about? Safari Island. No, no, no. Safari Island is is uh, uh, Westworld, where you kind of go on adventures mm-hmm. for fun. Uh, Fantasy Island is Fletcher Island, which is actually uh, led by an elf named Mister Cork instead of Mister Rourke. <laughs> and and this is and I'm reading the text here has a gnome sidekick that oh says God. when people come in on flying carpets, Z carpet, Z carpet. Are you? That's... I don't believe. Like I. Fletcher this Island is, is one of the things I did admittedly skip over because they're like, oh, it's a, it's a fantasy island. And I like read a little bit of it. And I was like, I don't I don't see what's going on with it. But no, it is literally fantasy yeah. island. It, at, I mean, the very first quote, I was, I, it was about the guy meeting you in a white suit. He was oh at, at the, the elegant man meets you in a white costume. And I was like, oh, OK, is this what we're doing? And but then they're really blade like, yes, this is what we're doing. <laughs> hey, props. So, yeah, Mr. Cork is the uh, the. Uh, the elegant man. He's and an elven wizard. That was the thing that when we were preparing, because Ron was going to be on this episode, he just, like, the weekend that we got to record it, because with, like, Shane Plays and uh, Arkansas RPG Con, the right. weekend that we, like, had free to record this was a weekend where he was indisposed. Um, but, like, he had mentioned Fantasy Island, and I thought that was just, like, like I was looking at Safari Island at the time when we were doing like mm-hmm. the initial prep and talking about the the module, um, and I was like, oh yeah, like you could run you could run Safari Island as Fantasy Island, but no, like there's literally actually a Fantasy Island. I hate yes. it, but I love it. <laughs> like I put myself in the Gonzo camp. I can't like back out on that now. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think stuff like that. Um. In general, I think this could work really well as a um, convention module. 
mm. where instead of of um warriors and and wizards and stuff you actually played people just like today people exploring this fantasy world of D&D so kind of make oh. it like Jurassic Park so yeah. instead of it being like this natural extension of the world of Mystara just say this is the D&D fantasy island you're just who you are and you got to explore it. and I think that would be a fun yeah, way to run it yeah you're you're playing yourself playing Rothgar the <laughs> the red yeah see how many levels fighter. of meta we can add to it yeah, I um. So, kind of getting back onto what works about this, like I had said earlier, the um, I love basically every adventure hook that I stop to actually read. I love they're written in such a way where it doesn't give you the adventure, but it it gives right. you the seeds to build your own and set them within this. Um, like I'm gonna read here. Um, let's see here. Uh, adventure, the the map, basic. So and it gives you the level ranges for, you know, how they should go. So th- the adventurers are casually strolling along a main street on the main island. They are abruptly stopped by a little man with a crooked nose and crooked teeth. He wears a loose white robe that is tattered at the bottom and, has con- uh, and he constantly adjusts the top of the garment so it does not slide off his shoulders. Uh, kind of getting back with those. The little man does not cease his pleading for you to... Dun, dun, dun. I like tried to skip ahead so I wasn't reading this verbatim and I lost it. That's on me, listeners. Let me find a, a shorter one because this one's kind of long. Well, I have it here. Uh, so he looks at a crease in your clothing mm-hmm. uh, and he tells you that it's the exact shape of a river that leads uh, from the mountain on the west coast. So he... He thinks your clothing is a map to uh, treasure. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, and he says, simply giving them, he won't just take the garment. He insists that the adventurer must wear uh, the clothing and take it off would disturb the immortal's plan. So it's all like divined by the higher ups. Um, and uh, so he, uh, he won't cease until you agree to do it. And he, uh, promises that the temple will offer him a great reward. Hmm. Um, but if you do not return to the temple, then officials will seize the adventurer um, and pull you into the temple. So it's kind of almost a little bit railroady, but you can, you can adjust that however you like. Yeah. Um, uh, but if you do return, the little man appears, engages the party or the individual in deep conversation. And suddenly they are all, or both uh, seized by temple officials. So either way, you're getting seized, whether you go with the guy or not. Um, And you are forced to lead an expedition to find the treasure according to the map on the clothing. Um, So it it, it just gives you that much, really. Uh, uh, It says the expedition takes several days, and each morning the individual with the map must have his clothes red. (laughs) And and the the individual is not allowed to change clothes, so you can can, uh, imagine. It's very... (laughs) A lot of this, like... A lot of these adventures just kind of remind me of unused Indiana Jones treatments. Sure. <laughs> like that's like, you know, like Indiana Jones is like in Cairo and a dude and a couple thugs are like, oh, your jacket has a map to ancient treasure on it. I don't know what accent that is. It's vaguely racist. I apologize to anyone who has that <laughs> specific accent. Um, and like. Indiana Jones is like, get out of here! I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to play your game. And then they're like, oh, Doctor Jones, I think that you will see that 
playing is not optional. And then they'll, like, punch him in the stomach and, like, put a sack over him. And then it, like, it, like cuts to the next scene and he's, like, tied into a chair. And there's a Nazi who, like, is looking for the Spear of Destiny. It's, like, that kind of sure. level of, like, it's just a, a short thing. There's one where, like... There's an evil pirate who it hides a uh, hides a uh, <laughs> a pearl of destruction in like a right. fish and some seaweed, and a little kid finds it. And then like the evil pirate's trying to get it back, and his like agents and bands of cutthroats are like trying to like track you down. It's just a lot of really great stuff. Um, yeah, and a lot of that. So they have those um, kind of that box text that has adventure idea, you know, at the top to mm-hmm. kind of grab your attention but a lot of stuff is just hidden within the text i mean there's a lot of adventure hooks just reading the descriptions of the people that kid you mentioned is one of them mm-hmm. um now he's in the uh uh merchant area and he sells um uh seaweed yeah well uh, that adventure but, is tied to him like i think right right that's what i'm saying but also in the description of him it says that he found he found while he was out there uh harvesting seaweed to sell he finds little items and stuff yeah and he sells those as well one of them being um a bottle with a note in it but it doesn't oh, yeah, tell you anything more than that. that it's just a bottle with a note in it so yeah. obviously of interest so there's like quest hooks within that don't get any more detail than just the quest hook and then there's sidebars where they really go into detail yeah on these adventures you can go on this like f- this is all on the segment on like the main island, Yerendi Island. Um, I would rip like if I had just a seaside town, I would rip this out and just whole cloth place these people into it. Boom, my like my NPCs for this this area are done. I I think this is great. Like they're not tied specifically to um to the world that much like you have like ganty's flying carpets i love that there is a uh chain of carpet stores in a dnt world yes when i read that i was like oh this is hilarious um you know then you've got like you've got some private investigators there's uh yeah bargle the wizards in, in this module but it's a different bargle it's his nephew <laughs> it's the, yeah he, he, he claims no relation but he actually but he related. actually is his nephew yeah yeah yeah, and uh, um, I think, honestly, it wouldn't take much to take any of these single vendors mm-hmm. and place them in anywhere. You know, yeah. you could change the seaweed collector to a flower collector oh, and yeah. still have those same situations arise where there's this little kid gathering up flowers and they find specific items that could lead you on a bigger adventure. Yeah. Um, so it's useful beyond just a seaside town. It has a lot of good ideas that you can use anywhere and, and just place it in a traditional medieval setting. Yeah, I, I like I said, going to this, I thought I wasn't going to hate this. I thought it was going to be, you know, joke, jokey Halloween horror kind of thing. Uh, and I said as much last episode. But when I sat down to actually look at it, I, I this is super charming and I really like it. And I'm glad that I actually read it. Um even the islands themselves, you could take out of the known world and just have them be, you know, just an island. Like, you could make one of the islands, because there's a bunch of uncharted islands. Mm-hmm. One of them could be the Isle of Dread. Right. Um, and just really just plop this anywhere. Um, and honestly, the fact that it is a group of islands, mm-hmm. you know, really lends it to be placed in any campaign world. Because there yeah. could be a group of islands that... that is any anybody of water 
that allows you to place it in whatever campaign world you're running. If you want to go ahead and have some island adventure there too, you could pop this into any place. Mm -hmm. um, it has ties back to the the whole of Mastara. But yeah, like the five shires and things like that. Well, right. Well, and the the flying carpet salesman and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You know, um, but that's not hard to to paint over if you need to. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about what works, and I think there's a lot in here that does. Um, what do you think didn't work about this module? I think um, if you're looking for more details for an adventure, it doesn't really supply that for you. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're buying this for the setting, I think that that works just fine. It gives you the setting, gives you the personalities. It lets you know what people are up to. But if you're wanting to run a, a module that maps it out for you and tells you what's in what's room, this doesn't really provide that, nor is it really the product intent. There are yeah. two, and that's on Safari Island, uh, that are actually mapped out. And there are two kind of arenas. And Safari Island is, is set up to where you're actually kind of like playing at the adventure you have a belt on a special belt that keeps you safe mm -hmm. uh while you're while you're doing these adventures but there's basically two modules really small modules but two modules in here called layer of the lizard lords and the uh, hill giant of crater marsh and those are mapped out they tell you what's in what area they're they're written out like any other tsr module yeah. where you have the areas and and their titles so even even if you don't use it for um, a campaign setting or adventure ideas, you know, for the for the PDF, you're getting two small modules that you could run pretty much anywhere because one's just a, a lizard man layer and one's a, uh, a mountain on a, on a marsh. Yeah. Um, but uh, as run, those sound both hilarious because so you would have to take out like the 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 belt that sucks in all the damage and magic spells and, and, and you would have to just take all that out and run it like a normal module. But <laughs> As written, the lizard men are like mermen dressed up as lizard men. Um, and the hill giant is just on the payroll. Like he's just uh, working with the uh, people of Yurinde. Uh, uh, and he, he hams it up. And in fact, the whole idea is that he stole um, a, a native boy and was going to eat him. And so instead of like cooking the boy, they just cook a ham. If you don't get there in time. <laughs> um, I mean, just ridiculous I stuff. I that's that part really in depth. That's... Yeah, I, I, and that's the thing. Like, I, I think that touches on it. The thing that doesn't work is that it is a Gonzo like module. Yeah. Um, and if you're not into that, this isn't gonna be for you to run right. as is. Um, one thing that I think didn't work, and I may be alone in this, but this is sort of like this is gonna sound really insensitive um it, it it's Hawaii the module mixed with fantasy island mixed with like a couple other different things so yeah. it is very much a tourist attraction sorry right. Hawaii uh I, I I don't mean that about your state Hawaiian listeners um I live in Vegas so like you know same same <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot of background for this island that you may you may just stop by for a couple sessions for like some R&R. Right. &R. Um, and I don't know if that necessarily works to have, you know, two pages of three pages of history to have a like thousand year timeline. 
the inner workings of the government and the yeah, military. And that, that's one of the things I was going to mention. The thing that that kind of doesn't work is if you're not into like the commerce and mm-hmm. the the way that government works, this isn't going to work for you either because it's very much more about how the politics of the island work than the adventure. Yeah, uh, the politics of the island me. is detailed way more in depth than any of the adventure hooks are. Yeah, they are. They, that was so that was such a weird thing to me um with just how much background for this place there is. But I could see definitely having a campaign where you start like if you take out if you're not playing tourists, playing just natives, like native adventurers, mm-hmm. I I think this could be really good. I think there's a lot here, you know, um it kind of leaves it open with all the different islands, but yeah, the um, there's like a whole page on like the military, and there's some punch outs, not punch outs, but like a there's like a, like there's rules for ship hull combat and like hit, yeah. hit points and things like that, and I'm not sure, I don't know who that's for. Yeah, uh, I mean it's it's basically so these rules they they actually direct you um, they to a module that they exist in, hmm. but they um, let me find that. Uh, it's on page th- twenty nine and thirty. Yeah, so method. it's um, it says feel free to use either this method or the C machine method included in the module M one, okay. um, which I have not read. Uh, I have not. But apparently we'll, we'll they they eventually. they have a uh, multiple ways of handling uh, ship combat, but they wanted to include one in here just in case it came up. Now, I would probably handle ship combat more as a story element mm-hmm. and still let the people kind of um just choose what their characters do my players would still control their characters but not necessarily break out counters and a hex map and do like a miniature ship battle um if i were running it but it's nice to have this for people who want to do that and you could that's a playable game by itself yeah i mean you don't you don't need to do anything except i mean it gives you basically ways to build up a point value Mm -hmm. of your ship um, and it gives different pluses based on what powers the ship. Yeah, and how and strong your hull is. Yeah. Uh, what kind of equipment it has on it. Yeah, um, and uh, with my style of DMing, I would hand wave most of that. And if there was yeah, a ship same. battle, I, I would keep the focus on the player character still and not kind of like bird's eye view. Now we're doing a miniature war game. Yeah, so I think we've covered that. Like we're just kind of rolling through our notes here. Um <laughs> I, you, the next note we have is things you would pull out of this to use in your home game. I think we've covered that already. Like, there's a lot here that I would just rip out of it and use in my home game. Um, I was know. surprised at how easy some of it was to rip out. I kind of yeah, I went into it thinking none of this was going to be my flavor of D and D because I I don't like um, swashbuckling pirate stuff very mm-hmm. much and. Uh, I was surprised at how much of it really kind of works. Um, but my one of my favorite ones doesn't work, um, but I, I want to find a way to do it in some other tournament. So they have this tournament once a year uh, to be the new king or queen of, mm-hmm. of Yurinde. And in one of the adventure hooks, the adventure hook is that a red dragon comes by and says, I want to be a part of this tournament. I want to be king of Yurinde. Um <laughs> Which is just crazy to me, like something like that that you can just make the um, the idea of this dragon uh, 
kind of just wanting to join in on the on the fight. Now he has ulterior motives. He's not actually really that interested in being the king of Urende. Mm-hmm. Um, and it details that what he says is uh, the dragon issues an open challenge. If any team of six humans can defeat him in combat, combat, then he will withdraw from the contest because the contest is one on one combat, and everybody's like, "Well, I don't want, I don't want to fight a dragon with, him. I don't want to go, <laughs> I don't want to go three rounds with Mike Tyson." Um, but the 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 reason is is because he's actually having trouble in his home, his draconic kingdom, um, and he's trying to recruit people. So he wants these six people to he come. He wants fight him six and- people strong enough to beat him, so they could. He knows that they'll be able to beat his enemies. Right. Yes. Um, and just that concept of like playing with these tropes, because yeah. I think D and D really good at that. Playing with these tropes, where you have this red dragon who's normally burning the village and and carrying off the the livestock, and he's just yeah, especially a terrible a creature to deal dragon? with. And he's actually the one kind of playing chess and bargaining with things. I think that's really yeah, kind of a fun way to use something like that. That's normally just uh, the um, the the terrible situation that you have to overcome. Yeah. And I was kind of in the same boat with um cuz I don't really do pirate stuff either, but I I mean I've talked about this when we did the X1 um review. Like it's my favorite module literally ever. I love X1. It's so good. Mm. Um and this is a lot of like X1 is like Indiana Jones or like you know Lost World or um a journey to the center of the earth kind of thing. And that I am all about that. And this is right. less pirates, more Indiana Jones, in my opinion. And sure. it's also just really clever. I, I love the way that the adventure hooks are written, where it just kind of gives you like a thing happens and it doesn't write the adventures for you, but it lets you kind of even organically roll with it and kind of improvise an adventure through there. Um, so good job. And McCready, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Um, I think that's it's going to be kind of a shorter episode this time around uh, from what I can see here. Um, but if this does not come out on Halloween, you just get two uh, episodes coming in November. Um, kind of going back here. Final thing. Um, we're going to change the way we do reviews from now on where we are no longer doing dragons. Um it's kind of a weird thing, you know, something that the best illustration of why a like one to five system doesn't quite work is from an episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000, the episode of Laser Blast. During the credits, um, they look at the reviews for Laser Blast, which is a garbage movie. It's really bad. Um, and they look specifically through uh, what reviewers, famous movie critics had said about the movie. And um, Laser Blast got the same rating from Leonard Malton as Star Wars and a bunch of other, like, seminal in the canon of American film uh, movies. So, you know, like, I really like this, but if I were to give it a three, there's something I may not like where I was feeling generous and gave it a three. So um, from now on, we're just going to go with a would you recommend or not recommend. And Um, I think more importantly, what we went over is what what you can use it for depending on what style of of campaign you mm -hmm. run. Um, you know, if this type of adventure where it's, you know, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and, and, uh, pirates and, uh, lots of, of, of mystery and intrigue and, and a lot of, uh, opportunity for, uh, political intrigue mm-hmm. in this adventure, if that's your thing, then this is uh, straight up your alley. 
Yeah. Um, where, where it's a lot less information for me to just say, I think this is not good or I think this is good. Um, it's, it's, we want to kind of work on gleaning out the information that we would use, why we would use it, what works. There's, um, there's a, a fantasy author that would review books and he would always review this uh, book, any book he likes, he would, he would write better than Tolkien because he hated Tolkien. You know, he just didn't like Tolkien, you know? So for a lot of people that was high praise. Yeah. Him, it meant nothing because he didn't like Lord of the Rings. Hmm. Um, so it doesn't really inform the, the listener. If we just say this is bad or this is good or, or on even on a one to five ratio. Um, so what we want to start doing, I think is just kind of pull information out of it and, uh, supply it and on how we would use it. And uh, hopefully that information will help you, the listener, determine how you would use it and if it's worth it. Yeah. Um, again, just kind of going through this module is $4.99 on dndclassics.com through DriveThruRPG for a PDF copy. Eventually, they're going to do everything print-on-demand. Like, it's great. <laughs> Thank you, based uh, D&D Classics. Uh, to get this module on eBay, you're looking at, uh, I see a copy here for twenty two twenty uh, twenty two ninety five, which I think is probably... A little more expensive than what you would have paid for at retail when it had first come out. You can also get a uh, copy for yeah, it was seven. It was seven ninety five retail. Oh, never mind. Yeah, that's uh, don't. I mean, like, if you're a collector, sure, buy it. But I don't think that's that markup is not worth it, in my opinion. Yeah, one thing to keep in mind with products like these is they did have counters and pullouts and printed mm-hmm. out maps and stuff. So, so the Gazetteer series usually a little bit higher collector value because of that. Yeah like a module like um you know b1 or b2 where it's just the book itself yeah i i think this will probably within the next year uh year and a half probably go to print on demand through drive through rpg um so and that'll have i don't know if they'll give you the option to do like i don't know i don't know how they're gonna handle that i haven't bought anything print on demand but would i recommend this Yes, I think for the price that you would get for a PDF and the content that you're getting with um, NPCs and even the different islands that you could just divorce, like you would just divorce an individual island from this setting and plop it into your campaign world, like um, like Honor Island, where everyone is a magic user, uh, or Fantasy right. Island, uh, uh, Fletcher Island, rather, um, if you wanted to, you know, just let them run wild and do like some quick one shots. I, I think this is definitely worth the price. Yeah. I mean, I, I bought it on a, a, a huge sell, so I, I definitely got my money's worth, but even at, at a four ninety nine, um, I think there's enough ideas in here and enough um, information here. I, I found stuff in that I'm definitely going to use and I'm never, planning on going to an island community in any of my games Mm -hmm. my games take place primarily in dungeons but it's not hard to pull out some of these adventure ideas and use them in dungeons uh one in particular i really want to use uh the wart guy who finds the stuff as he's he's selling because i think that's a very endearing adventure hook where the adventure comes from this child who just kind of found this yeah um you know that that that's a way to get people to like an npc is is a make them helpful and, and not, um, not out for themselves. You know, Mm. um, the quickest way to make people like an NPC is make them funny. People will, will do anything for a funny NPC. Yeah. I feel like Bargle the wizard (laughs) junior is a funny NPC. 
Um, yes, they, like he's not he's not quite as bad as Bargle is. He's still uh, bad though. Like they do make yeah. that's I think like you almost kind of verb not I can't say verbatim paraphrase. That's not how either of those words work. <laughs> you definitely did a good job of paraphrasing. We're like he's not as bad as Uncle, but he still kind of sucks. Um, yeah. But yeah, I would definitely, I would recommend this in a heartbeat. I'm glad I read this. I'm like, I was not looking forward to the Gazetteer series. Uh, I'm looking forward to the new ones, uh, the next ones. I think next is uh, Elves of Alfheim, right? Um, yes, I don't think that's the, is that the way it's called? Yeah, Alfheim. <laughs> like, it's, that's how, that's, yeah. It's, well, no, I mean, uh, I, it is uh, Alfheim in, in Mistara, but I thought the, the actual gazetteer had a different name. No, it's uh, Gas Five, the Elves of Alfheim. Well, then never mind. Yeah, <laughs> you were wrong, Carl. You're fired. <laughs> but uh, that'll do it for us. Uh, kind of wrapping up here. If you have any uh, feedback on the show, you can email us at questions at saverdie dot info. Um, you can always reach us on Facebook, Saver Die Podcast colon Immortal Edition. Um, we have a Twitter, uh, neither of us are using that. So like, that's kind of dead. Uh, <laughs> I, I put a meme on there. I'm going to start trying to get. All right. Um, uh, I make all those memes. There's nothing to upload them to different places. That's so true. I, yeah. I'm going to try to be more involved on the, on the, on the tweets, on the Tweety tweets. Yeah. You can uh, also, uh, chat with us in our discord. There's a link to that on, um, uh, osrgaming.org slash forums which is our forum as well um, but yeah so we're, we're around um, and then we'll see you next time uh, on the Save or Die podcast well, let me tell you something brother the Save or Die Podcast Immortal Edition is a production of Wild Games Productions, brother. It is produced for entertainment purposes only, Jack. All other uses are prohibited, dude. So be sure to visit them at saverdie.info for more information, brother. What you gonna do when the Save or Die Podcast runs wild on you? Ooh.